Brooke has already uh, you know, talked about, we're going to be talking about the sword of the Spirit this morning, which is the Word of God. And uh, you know, all in the name of research, of course. Uh, this Armor of God uh, series has been really entertaining for me to research. I actually had someone send me a picture uh, that said, this is how I uh, see you throughout the week studying for the armor of God. And it was like a full guard, you know, Roman regalia, you know, uh, soldier there. And he said, I just picture you walking around the office that you now have an excuse to do something like that. And I can't say that they're necessarily wrong in that regard. But whenever we talk about the sword of the Spirit, um, you know, a sword is something that I, I don't know about you all, but, um, you know, way back, because I'm 44 now, way back when I was younger, like, say, 43, um, anything could be a sword. I matured a lot in that year. I really have. But anything could be a sword. I mean, like, you pick up a stick, it's a sword, you know. And it, it's according to what size sword that you really wanted, uh, because, like, a paper towel holder you know, that could, I mean, after you did, you know, you did that thing, that automatically became like a dagger. And then Christmas time, oh, oh when, you're, when you ran out of wrapping paper and you had that big tube, then you can make that real loud. Then it became like a claymore, you know, in your hand, right? And when you did it, pool noodles, anybody, pool noodles, right? And guys, let me, let me just give you this heads up. If you're using a stick, a, a cardboard roll, a pull noodle as a sword, and you're not making the lightsaber sound with it, you're not doing it right. Okay, because it's got to have the zzz, zzz, zzz. And, you know, as kids, we would do this in the neighborhood or amongst siblings, and, man, these things would get intense, and they would get so intense that the game ended whenever somebody got hurt, right? And then you had to go home and... You know, try to fabricate some bear attack that happened to your mom. You know, it's like, I, I'm telling you, mom, it was like Elijah. There was a bald guy there, called out a mama bear after us. I don't know what happened. I don't know how his eye got gouged out. I don't know. But there's something about like a sword that just kind of makes you feel empowered. You know, even when it's a piece of cardboard, even when it's a stick, when it's a pool noodle, there's this empowering element to the sword of the spirit. And I want us to look at this word, God's word, being the only material offensive weapon that Paul describes to us in the armor of God. In this passage on spiritual warfare, as he's taken this and articulated, he's written this entire letter, and he's built it all up. He spent the first three chapters laying the foundation of theology. Then he's talked to us in 4, 5, and throughout the, the chapter 6 of this is how it plays out. This is how it should look in your life. These are the practical applications of it. Here's what should be going on in your lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And then he begins to break down this armor of God because he realizes something that all of us have to be incredibly aware of in our lives, that each and every day we are facing an enemy. We are facing attacks each and every day as believers. And those attacks are not with other people. Those attacks are not with our government. Those attacks are not with ideology. 
Our attacks are not with politics or different beliefs. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But Paul is setting this apart here to help us to understand you are fighting a spiritual battle and here is what God has given you to combat this. So if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. We're going to be reading the second half of verse 17. Ephesians chapter 6, second half of verse 17, which Paul says, And the sword of the Spirit, which he had instructed at the first part, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, a, a quick word on the Word here. I didn't, didn't plan that out ahead of time. So, A quick little explanation about this word, Word. In the Greek, there's two different ways, two different root words that we translate the word, Word. One of them is, according to which Greek professor you have, is logos or logos. Whichever, whichever way, whichever professor you had would have said it one of the two ways. That's God's written word. And that's also the word that's used in you know, 1 John when he's talking about Jesus. The word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh, and the word dwelt among us. So that's the word, that Logos word, is the written, the established, the foundational word of God. But the Greek word that Paul uses here is rhema. Rhema word, which means living, active, and spoken. It also has an indication in the Greek of being specific Scripture or being specific portions of the Word of God that you use in your life as you are walking through life. I'm sure all of us have experienced times that there are certain Scriptures or certain portions, certain passages of God's Word that really relate to what we're going through more than at other times. And that's that rhema word, that fresh, alive, spoken, applicable word in your life at that particular time. Now, Paul has already detailed and articulated a little bit about the Spirit. Well, actually, he did a lot. But one passage that we're going to read is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, because he's laid this groundwork, this foundation for all of the truth, the peace, the salvation, faith, all of these other elements of the armor that we've talked about, and he does so with the Spirit, too. Chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with with all the fullness of God. Now to give us a, a, a physical picture here, as we've done these past few weeks, the Roman sword that Paul was referring to, we all, you know, like I said, we all want the, like the, the massive long swords. You know, those ones that you can barely lift with two hands. But this is not the type of sword that Paul is describing here. 
The typical sword of a Roman soldier back in this time would have been anywhere from 12 to 18 inches, maybe, maybe 24 at the most. But Paul has given us this indication through this whole armor of God and this whole spiritual warfare that this was a personal, close, intimate battle that we fight each and every day. It's not something that's a far off. It's not something that we can use distance weapons with. It's not something that we have to make sure that we have heavy artillery or armor around us because of the trajectory of the weapons being fired. Paul is referring to close personal warfare here. And that's really indicative of the gospel's the, the, the shoes of the peace of the gospel when we're talking about how sturdy they were and how much of a foundation that that gave uh, the Romans at the time and us as believers now. Because your enemy does not fight you from afar off. I mean, he, he's not above that, don't get me wrong. But I may not be, I don't think I'm the only one here, but most of the time... Our deepest hurts and wounds and scars usually come from the ones that we're closest to, right? Family, friends, church. You see, it's the close, personal, connected, intimate moments of warfare that tend to hurt us and scar us the deepest. And Paul, all throughout this, is giving us these weapons of not only defense, but now offense to combat these. And this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So let's look at this. We're going to answer some questions again this week, like we have throughout the remainder of you know, the rest of this series. So we're going to first look at what is it? So we've kind of given you a glimpse of it, but we find out in Hebrews chapter 4, we get another description here. Verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So understand that this word is living active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And this would have been a very powerful illustration when the author of Hebrews penned this during that culture, because the sword was known to have primarily two uses culturally. Yes, it was a piercing object. Yes, it was one that could pierce you, that could harm you, that could penetrate you. But the sword was also used as a source of healing as well. Because if you had a wound, then one of the first steps that they would take would they would heat the blade of the sword until it was glowing, and they would lay it on the wound that you had to cauterize the wound. So there was an element of cultural understanding for the swords at the time, back in the time of Hebrews, that they would have understood that it's not only used to pierce, but it's also used to heal. Church, the Word of God is the same way. Because it can pierce us to our core. It will find the areas of sin. It will find the areas of iniquity. It will find the areas of faults and failures and lack and shortcomings in your life. And it will pierce you and convict you of those. But at the same time, it doesn't do that just to damage you. It does it so it can heal you and deliver you from that sin and that shortcoming, that failure, that iniquity, whatever's going on in your life. The Word of God doesn't pierce you just to damage you. Amen? 
please know, please help me to know that, that you know that this is not a destructive word. This is not a damaging word. And even in the moats, in the times that this word cuts us the deepest, it's doing so for our own good. It's to bring healing to us. So when the word of God pierces us and pierces our heart, it convicts, but at the same time, it brings healing. It brings deliverance and it brings forgiveness. And that's good news, right? Amen. All right, now listen, I, I talked to Miss Norma this week. Norma Mosran, she informed me that she is always responding to me at home. And when I ask you all to raise your hand, she says she raises her hand. So there's no peer pressure, but if Norma does it, So this rhema word, this living, spoken, active word. Now we know that this book is closed. Okay? We, we can't take away from it. We can't add to it. But what this rhema word indicates to us is certain moments in our life when passage in Scripture is used for that specific purpose at that specific time. And I want us to look at an example of that. I believe it's in Matthew chapter 4. And I don't have, I've got the reference on the screen, but I don't have the entirety of it up on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. But this is the account of Jesus being led in the wilderness and his temptation by the devil while he's in there. And let's see this rhema word in action this morning. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Understand, I love how Scripture can just make you know, factual statements like, it's almost comical. It's like Jesus, you know, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And oh, by the way, he was hungry. I go 40 minutes of fasting. <laughs> ben became hungry. <laughs> so he's facing this moment of hunger. And the enemy comes in spiritual warfare to tempt him all alone in the wilderness. There's no more of a close, intimate personal temptation than when you're all alone and the enemy comes against you it says that he was hungry and satan said hey i know you're hungry but if you are truly the son of god then you could command these stones to become loaves of bread and jesus said it is written what did he do here he relied on the word of god this is that rain this is an example of that rhema word of there is a word, there is a promise, there is a command, there is a voice of the Father that has already been spoken and it is applicable in my life right now. And he says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice the phrasing here. This is, this is important because it's the spoken word. It's a present tense statement that Jesus makes. He doesn't say that every word that has come from the Father or that the Father has spoken. It says that comes from the mouth of God, which gives it a living 
now relevant tense. And that's important. Reading on, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. A specific temptation, a specific test that is, that is thwarted, that Jesus responds with a specific passage of God's Word. Let's read on. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Or in modern day translations, Not today, Satan. Really? There's like three chuckles there? Come on. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. There's a couple elements of this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because it's really not going along, but there's such a, a, so many layers of truth that we can gather from this one. Again, he took him up to a high place, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and said that, you know what, if you'll just bow down and worship me, man, you can have all of this. And Jesus responds, again, by using a living, active, applicable, practical passage of God's Word to respond to that temptation and to be victorious in spiritual warfare. But notice how the enemy will take what could very well be your God-given purpose and use it against you. Because didn't Jesus come to undo the works of the devil? Didn't he come to reclaim God's kingdom and his dominion and reclaim the creation for him? Wasn't that the purpose? And here Jesus had this opportunity standing on the mountain that all he would have had to do was bow down and worship Satan, and he could have fulfilled it. And I don't know about you, but to me that sounds much easier than going being beaten, mocked, spat upon, ridiculed on a fake trial, than dying an agonizing death on a cross. No, thank you. I'll take a knee right here, and we'll do the exact same thing. Sometimes your greatest source of spiritual warfare can be to do the right thing in the wrong way. To get the right result, but do it the wrong way. We we talk about how important it is to glorify God in everything that we do. We talk about how important it is for us to honor God in everything that we do. If Jesus would have done this and the end result would, all the kingdoms would have been given to him, my question to you is, would he have glorified God in the process? If he would have bowed his knee and worshipped Satan, would that have brought God honor and glory? No. Absolutely not. And Jesus says, this way's harder, this way's more painful, this I've got to endure things, this I really don't want to do, but you know what? If I do this to get this outcome, then God gets all the glory, God gets all the honor, God gets all the praise, and I will not bend my knee to you even if you're promising me the same result. Church, if there's ever a time that we need to be resolved in our hearts that we're going to get the right thing the right way so that God gets glory, honor, and praise, the time is now for that to happen and we need to take that to heart but if we're not leaning and understanding the rhema word of god applicable practical relevant to our hearts and our lives today then we tend to take the easy way out 
I don't think that Jesus had a Gideon version of the Bible on him in the wilderness. I don't think he had a pocket version of the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. Jesus knew. He knew the Word. He knew the Word. In Psalm 119.11, David, in the Old Testament, knew the value of this, where he says, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Folks, you're not always going to have time to pull the Bible out. You're not always going to have time to pull the tablet or the phone or whatever you access the Bible. You're not always going to go, oh, wait a minute, just, just a second, Satan. Can we stop the temptation for just a minute? Yeah, thank you. Oh, there it is, okay. We don't have time for that. That needs to be in our heart. So, and here in just a minute, we're going to get to some, some practical points here, but let's understand that if Jesus, the Son of God, the human form of God incarnate, God Himself, if Jesus found it valuable to memorize and store God's Word in His heart, how much more so is it for us? And listen, I know, I know, nobody has time to read God's Word. I know that it's not interesting. It just doesn't keep my attention. Interesting statistic, and I promise I didn't make this one up, because 95.67249% of statistics by preachers are made up on the spot. But this one I did not make up. That the average adult at the end of 2020 averaged watching over five hours of television a day. Adults also averaged over two hours a day on their phones. Seven hours a day in some type of mind-numbing activity, but yet we don't have time to read God's Word. Think about that. The next time that you put this down or don't even pick this up, click on Netflix. I know, I know, maybe I've gone from preaching, now I'm meddling, but I'm not sorry for it. All right, not sorry for it at all. But I want us to look at, let's answer the second question of the spirit. This is the spirit sword. And why is it the spirit sword? If you would to give me the next slide. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, important phrasing in scripture because it says take the sword of the spirit which is God's word this book although penned by men was done so under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit and this is the revelation of truth that you and I live by as Christians or at least it should be this is the Word of God. This is the authority in our lives. This is what God has given us as His voice, both 
logos, both written and both rhema, that this word is alive and active and sharper than two-edged sword. But my friends, this word is not ours to do with whatever we want to do with it, to manipulate it however we want to manipulate it, to to, to frame a narrative around this. It is not ours to take passages, pick one here, pick one there, in order that we can further a narrative of our opinion that we want and we feel good about believing. This is God's Word. It is His Spirit that provides us this sword for us to live by. So we need to make no mistake that this is the sword of the Spirit of God Himself. So let's look at some some practical ways. Let's look at some uses. Now, as I was going through this week, I told Thomas, I said, I've got like 12 practical points. Maybe just a few too many practical points. So I whittled away two of them. But what I did, preacher trick, I broke them up into two categories. So it doesn't count as ten overall takeaways, or even nine. It takes away, it it now counts as two with subcategories. First, what do we need to do with this? The sword of the Spirit. How can we use this as an offensive weapon in our spiritual warfare? Number one, we need to consume the Word. Consume the Word. And here are some ways that we can consume the Word. Again, not practical takeaways. This is all subcategories under consuming the Word. First, you need to read the Word. Set aside time in your daily life that you read God's Word. Next, study the Word. Set aside time in your daily life where you study God's Word. And yes, these are different. Reading your Bible and studying your Bible completely different and if you've never really been introduced to a a concept of how to study the bible if you'll go onto the the church website fccgrayson.com under the message notes we have a thing we have a way we have a link right there that will help you step you through as to how to study god's word and here's the example of it how many times have you sat down with with your bible and you read a chapter and you go what i just read Like you have no recollection at all of what you just read. you got to go back and read it. I have never had that problem when I've sat down with a pen and a paper and I've asked questions and I've made notes about what I've just read. Read your Bible, study your Bible. Two different things. The next thing, hear the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. you got to hear the Word also. That's what you're doing. When you're not napping through my messages, you're hearing the Word of God. I kid. I kid. Virgil's working safety today. It's fine. (laughs) He's got the volume on the TV out there. He may be taking a nap right now. I don't know. I can't. Oh, I see him. There he is. How you doing? (laughs) Hear the Word of God. Surround yourself by the Word of God. And, And we're going to get to the importance of this, but... That's, that's why what we listen to, what we watch, is important. It really is important. Next, meditate on the Word. Ooh, meditate, Eastern mysticism, no, we don't do that. You know the word that we get from meditate comes from the Greek word that we get our same word medicine from? 
When you meditate on God's Word, that means you just think deeply about it, and it's used in a way that causes you to get healthy. Causes you to get healthy. Think about that for just a minute. We, we talked about that earlier, that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? That it pierces, but it also heals. Meditate on the Word because it will lead to your health. Memorize the Word. Have Scripture memorization. I mean, if you have to, if you're like me and some of the members of my family, you're competitive. Have competitions against each other. Bible bowl. Right? Jesus memorized the Word. It was how He was able to fight off the temptation in the wilderness. And by the way, the phrasing that's used is that Jesus, the Son of Man, Son of God, Son of God, oh, He went into the wilderness led by the Spirit. But it says that He came out in the power of the Spirit. There's power when we overcome temptation using God's rhema word. So let's look. That's consuming the word. Now let's talk about sharing the word. So we're consuming it. Now we need to share it. Apply the word to your life. <laughs> Apply the word to your life. If you're here every Sunday and you know every scripture that there is and you memorized every scripture there is, you read a book of the Bible a day, it really doesn't matter if you're not living it. If you're not living it, if you're not sharing the word by the way that it is changing you and the way that you are living your life and the way that it's applied to your heart, then you've just consumed knowledge. It's not changed you. So we share it by applying the Word. We share it by talking about the Word. Listen, most, most every morning, Thomas and I come in before official office hours start, and we're here and we're drinking coffee, and we're talking about God's Word. And that's one of the best parts of my day. I talk a lot about God's Word because I'm a morning person. Thomas, not so much. He requires more coffee. But that's one of the best parts of our day, and I'll speak for him because I know that we both enjoy it, is that we're able to come together, we're able to talk, we fellowship, we, we drink coffee, we talk about God, we talk about the church, we talk about his word. And it's a fantastic, and that his words need to be on our lips day and night. Amen? Next, pray the word. Pray the word. We're going to get into this a lot more next week. Uh, as, as we wrap up the book of Ephesians. But pray God's Word. Have you ever been in a time of prayer and you just don't know what to say? Maybe, maybe you're going through a really difficult time and you just don't have words, but you know you need to. Pray God's Word. Pray God's Word. And then lastly, worship according to the Word. We've said this a couple times, and I'll just every so often repeat it. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is a command by God. Jesus himself commanded that the, the true worshipers, my followers, those who are truly my followers, will worship me in spirit and in truth. Folks, what we sing here on Sunday mornings is a really big deal. And we put... It's not a random song generator each week that we throw. It's not even 
about, hey, what's going to match the message this week? Although we try to do that. We try to make sure everything's pointing towards God's Word. But know that the theology of what we're singing about is important. It's very important. And listen, I love K-Love. I listen to K-Love. But if you'll notice in here, we don't do a lot of K-Love songs. We do some, not all. Because some of the stuff on K-Love are songs of prayer. They're songs of declaration. They're songs of testimony. And those are great. They have their place. Songs that tell a story. But when we're together as a family, we are here to do one thing. Glorify God. Not glorify us. Worship according to the Word. Set your heart of affection towards Him and make sure that what you're worshiping Him with is actually something about Him and glorifying Him. So with that, I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. No pressure now. None whatsoever. But I know that this time, we, we always give an invitation for you to respond to what God's doing on your heart. Whatever, whatever you're feeling, if this word has done something, if there's been a song that's done something, we recognize that that's not about us. That's not about the words that we sing. It's not about my voice or what I say. It's about God's Spirit doing the work in your heart. And we want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And we do that each week. We want to make sure that if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you've never taken that step of repentance, that we give you the opportunity to do that, to make that decision. But what we can never forsake is that at this time, we're still worshiping God. Even though it comes right before our announcements, and right announcements comes right before we get out of here and go eat lunch. Let's not be distracted by the fact that we are worshiping God and He wants us to worship, us, worship Him in spirit and in truth.